what is the primary lens through which you and I tend to view the world? For example, do we tend to think about our world politically, primarily concerned with how our nation stacks up against other nations? Do we tend to think about our world economically, primarily concerned with trade and markets and investments? Do we think about our world ethnically, primarily concerned with issues of race and culture? You see, I think when we read headlines about places like Iran and Russia, about China and North Korea, about England and France and Mexico and Colombia, I think that we've conditioned ourselves to first see them either as allies or enemies. That we want to categorize them either as people who are like us or people who are not like us. Yet God invites us as his children to see the world through a larger lens, to see the world spiritually. Our God wants us to remember that every human being is made in his image. And yet so many are so far from him. He wants us never to forget that we have the privilege of helping people find their way to God through Jesus. I find myself wondering, what might be different if we truly viewed our spiritual mission in this world as the single most important thing? Now, I'm very grateful to be part of a church that takes the global mission of God seriously. Yet I have to admit that in my own life, this mission often doesn't take center stage. It's something that I believe in. It's something that I invest in, and yet it's not always my highest priority. Sometimes other things get in the way. I'll bet that's true for you as well. That's why we need to periodically revisit this issue of our mission. We need to be reminded that more than anything, God wants to draw the people of this world into his embrace. He wants them in his family. That's his priority. And he wants it to be our priority. And that's why we've been devoting some time recently to talk about our mission. Two weeks ago, we talked about local mission we, with our emphasis on reaching children so we can pass our faith on to the next generation. Last week, we talked about our regional mission with an emphasis on planting new churches to try to reach new people who are very far from God throughout the Pacific Northwest. These are strategic things that we are doing to help fulfill our mission. And this morning, we want to talk about our global mission, our mission given to us by God to share our faith in Jesus with all kinds of people beyond the borders of our nation. And we're going to talk about and highlight one particular ministry that we support in Thailand and get a glimpse of how we are extending ourselves through the work of another person in that far-off place. I want to begin by identifying some biblical principles that remind us of the priority of our global mission. And we're going to start in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Genesis 12, 1, the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country 
your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And think about the impact of this next statement. And all peoples on earth, all peoples on earth will be blessed through God's statement here to Abram is what we call a covenant. It's God's personal commitment to mankind, and he's making Abram the responsible party to begin to carry this out. And to kick things off, Abram must take one pivotal initial step. He must relocate his family to a brand new place. And to consider the impact of what he's being asked to do, think about this. Have you ever moved your family across country to a new community to live in a brand new home and to go there sight unseen? That's what God asked Abram to do. It's a hard request. It's a risky undertaking. It's an act that must be motivated by complete trust in God. And if Abram is willing to do this, then he and his descendants will be blessed by God. And through those descendants, God then promises to bless all the peoples of the world. What a promise. Now, God makes several covenants in the Bible. But this is his great covenant because it sets forth his ongoing purpose for this world. And it's a purpose summarized in verse 3 in that phrase, all peoples on earth. Now, some, some Bible translations use the word families instead of peoples. But God's not talking here about a nuclear family like we think about a family with a mom and a dad and a couple of kids. God is talking about a cultural family. The meaning of the original Hebrew text actually refers to what today we call a people group. A group of people who share a distinct ethnicity and a distinct culture and sometimes even a distinct language. Things that make them different from other groups. And in giving this covenant, God wants us to know that he wants all such groups of people to know him wants to bless them. And as we think about the distinctions between these people groups, then one thing becomes crystal clear. This covenant only will be fulfilled if the descendants of Abraham reach out to people who are not like them. They must engage in cross-cultural mission. Now, when we look ahead in Genesis, we discover that Abraham is faithful and he does what God asks. He takes the holy risk of uprooting his life and relocating his family. And in response, God does bless him. He keeps his promise. And he forges the descendants of Abram into a new great nation, the nation of Israel. And that group of people then becomes responsible for fulfilling this covenant. Their mission, their purpose as a nation, among other things... Their overriding priority is to share God's love with the people group 
hopes of other nations around them. And yet, as we read through the Old Testament, we, we find that Israel does not always make that mission their highest priority. They sometimes forget who they are and what they've been called to do by God. Kind of like we sometimes do. Sometimes, though, the Israelites get it right. And we have a great example of that. One great example happens on the day of dedication of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. It's this temple that Solomon has built. And now it's the grand opening day. And Solomon prays a lengthy prayer as he commits the ministry of this temple to God. And there's a portion of this prayer which reveals that Solomon understands God's great covenant. And we see this in uh, the book of 1 Kings, chapter 8, verses 41 to 43. Again, this is in the midst of a very lengthy prayer. But Solomon prays, as for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, he's talking about people far from God, as for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. And when they come and pray toward this temple, look what he asks. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as, you do, your own, as do your own people Israel. And they may know that this house I have built bears your name. I hope you caught something significant. In this prayer, Solomon uses the exact same language, the peoples of the earth, that God used in his covenant with Abram. It's not a coincidence. Solomon, as he prays and sees the ministry of their temple unfolding, he foresees that there will be times when the peoples of the earth, these people who are far from God, will come to the temple because they're spiritually curious. They want to know about God. And as they come to the temple, some of them will reach out to God in prayer. And Solomon says, when they do, God, answer their prayers. Whatever they ask, God, please grant their requests. Now that's a pretty bold ask. God give them whatever they ask for. I think it's safe to say that Solomon assumes these people are not offering foolish prayers. They're not coming to the temple and saying, hey, God, give me a gold-plated chariot. They're praying for real needs, not selfish wants. And in fact, it occurs to me that some spiritually curious person who's heard about God might make that long journey to the temple and might come into that place and be overwhelmed with its grandeur and its architecture and maybe the sense of mystery about that place. And I wonder if some spiritual seeker might not offer a prayer like this. God, I've, I've heard about you and I've come to this place because there's an emptiness in my soul. I've come to this temple to find you, oh God. Would you please do something to show me that you are real. I, I think people who are spiritual seekers often 
pray those kinds of prayers. But whatever their prayers might be, Solomon wants these sincere spiritual seekers to find God. And so he says, God, give them whatever they ask for. He's motivated by a desire for the people of the world to know God and honor God and follow God. He makes this request of God because he understands this great covenant that has been entrusted to Israel and he wants to see that covenant fulfilled. This request Solomon makes of God is a great request. It's a great request because it lines up so completely with the heart of God, his heart to embrace the peoples of the world. And as I think about this, it seems to me that Solomon's prayer could be and should be a model for us. Like him, we should pray that spiritually curious people will come here to the house of God to learn about him and hopefully find him. And like Solomon, we can ask God, to grant the sincere requests of those spiritual seekers, to demonstrate to them that he is real and that he loves them and that he cares for them and he wants to be their heavenly father. And I think we should pray this way because the covenant is not yet fulfilled. This mission originated long ago with Abram. This mission was one for which Solomon prayed. And it now has been entrusted to us. Jesus himself has given it to us. As we read in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. These are virtually the final words that Jesus spoke to his disciples before he returned to heaven. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, that word translated nations in verse 19 is one we can misunderstand because we hear that word nation and we think about a geopolitical entity, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. The meaning of the original Greek text actually refers to people groups. It's the same idea that God was expressing to Abram in his covenant. It's the same idea that Solomon was expressing in his prayer when he prayed for the peoples of the earth. You see, Jesus is saying, here is a great unchanging mission and I'm now giving it to you, my followers. We have the privilege of sharing God's love with the people groups of this world. And we can model and demonstrate God's love to them, and we can lead them through the process of repentance and baptism and get them started in a life of discipleship. And yet to fulfill this mission, we really do need to understand what Jesus is saying because we cannot simply focus on nations. To reach nations, we must reach the people groups within those nations. And it's vital that we develop specific strategies to do just that. To take one example, let's consider Indonesia. There are 785 different people groups in that nation. 785. And between them, they speak more than 230 
different languages. And that's why we support missionaries. Ron and Jackie Whistler seated right down here. God bless you guys. We love to invest in you and we invest in them because they've devoted their life to Bible translation. They are continuously producing new Bibles in new languages so that these different people groups in Indonesia can know God to reach the nation. We have to reach the people groups. How about Thailand? That nation has 114 different people groups who speak 79 different languages. And our strategy there is a little different. We've learned that sometimes the best way to reach people within a culture, a culture that's very different than ours, Sometimes the best way to reach them is not to send yet another Anglo from America. Sometimes the best thing to do is to send someone from within that culture. Someone who understands their own language and culture and customs. Someone who understands better than we can the language and the customs and the culture of their neighbors. That person from that culture can share the love of Jesus with their friends and neighbors in ways that we cannot. And that's why we support the ministry of Dandenia Punya in Thailand. She works with an organization called Frontier Laborers for Christ. And we consider it a privilege to invest in her. Rob and Glenda Ness are volunteers who serve with our missions committee. And they recently had a chance to personally visit with Dandenia in Thailand. And they have put together a presentation to share with us what's going on in Dandenia's life and ministry and how she is helping to fulfill this great mission in her part of the world. Rob, come and share with us, please. The story of Gardenway's relationship with Frontier Laborers for Christ in Thailand begins with Paul and Jan Jones. They were asked by the mission to help in the yearly year, early years of the Barefoot Doctors Program. You may have heard Paul and Jan talk about going to Thailand and working um, in this program, but when we heard from the mission themselves about, about them, we realized how humble Paul and Jan have been about their role. This picture shows very vividly how strong the mission credits Paul and Jan for its success. Building named after them. The next picture shows the dormitory building where that plaque is on, dedicated to Paul and Jan, and this is the building where the participants stay in while they receive their training. Paul and Jan even left behind part of their legacy of being duck fans. The Barefoot Doctors Program was designed to provide medical help to remote tribal villages in Burma and Thailand. It's a three-year program. And most of the design of this program was, was done completely by Paul and Jan. Each year they spend seven weeks at the center with the first week spent in studying the Bible. Just shows you what the heart of this ministry is all about. The second week they spend talking about community development. Things like uh, water systems, substituting uh, opium for new cash crops, um, being involved in various construction projects in such a way that the village takes ownership of the, of the project and the maintenance of the project. And then the next five weeks are spent in medical training. The participants are then sent back to the villages to practice what they've learned. They return the next two years and get additional Bible training and additional medical training, often discussing 
problems that they had difficulty with during the past year. I asked Young, the director of the mission, how the individuals were selected for this training. His answer, again, shows the heart of the program. The villages select who they think can be successful. So they have ownership in this, uh, this eventual success of this person that gets the training. But more importantly, in order to be even an eligible candidate, the person already is an evangelist. In their culture, many look to their spiritual leaders for physical, physical healing as well, um, often witch doctors. Therefore, it is very important for them to look to these trained barefoot doctors for both spiritual and physical healing. The other significant mission program going at the center is Bible training for evangelists. There are several training sessions each year. These pictures show another one of the buildings on the mission grounds that is used for both, both of those programs. While Paul and Jan were leading this program, they met Dizzy Punya. He was an evangelist and a barefoot doctor and wanted to put, devote full time to visiting the villages and leading people to Christ. In order to be able to do this, he needed financial support. That's where Garden Way comes in. Garden Way stepped forward and provided full financial support for he and his family so that he could spend his full time in ministry. Deasy worked extremely hard, meeting both physical and spiritual needs in many villages. Tragically, he died in May 2016 after running a high fever and going into a coma. These next pictures show the church building that he was working on just before he died. Young, the director of the mission, says that Deasy literally worked himself to death. He is described as a servant leader, hardworking, honest, humble, quiet, straightforward, and faithful to the family, friends, and the FLC mission. Deasy's death left the missions committee with a decision what to do next. His wife, Dandania, also a graduate of the Barefoot Doctor program and a fellow participant in supporting the mission, had no means of support. We decided to continue to support Dandania on a trial basis, just to find out what her role really might be. Well, Glenda and I were planning a trip to Vietnam to see our kids, and we wanted to visit Thailand to do some sightseeing. And so we thought about all of these wonderful beaches down in southern Thailand that we'd love to go see. Um, but others in our group said, well, we want something a little more cultural. So Glenda said, well, how about if we go to Chiang Mai? So we bought tickets to go to Chiang Mai. Only after we had already bought the tickets and we're getting ready to go, did we finally dawn on us, Chiang Mai, that's where Frontier Laborers for Christ is. We should see if we can meet uh, Dandania and uh, see, see, see the mission. So through the Joneses, we, we made connections with Young. And uh, sure enough, uh, he was available, and uh, Dandania and her, and her kids were available. And so they made arrangements for us to, uh, to meet them at the mission. It seemed clear to us that God had a different plan for us on this vacation. And what, uh, what, what happened, we weren't prepared for. It was just a, a blessing beyond anything you could imagine. So they arranged transportation, and Dandini and her children prepared lunch for us. The kitchen. And if you look at the lunch, it's not a lunch. It's more like a Thanksgiving feast that they prepared for us. After uh, lunch, Young provided information about the mission, 
And then Dandinia gave a heartfelt talk about her role in the mission and her work and her uh, dreams and her thankfulness to Garden Way for the support that we provide. I'm going to play a short part of that talk. First, she's going to introduce her three children, Apinya, Titapone, and Peron, and then she talks about her role in the mission work. She'll be speaking in Thai, so I doubt many of you will understand a word that she is saying, except maybe you might hear the words Garden Way. But I want to play this clip so you can see the passion and her humility as a servant of God working in that program. Nice to meet you. Thank nice to meet you. than what I just showed here. But here's what she says. First of all, I want to thank God for bringing Garden Way Church and my family together. It makes me realize the depths of God's love. When Young told us that a group from Garden Way was stopping by Chiang Mai to meet our family, I was very happy and overwhelmed. I feel like Garden Way's members are all fellow workers with us in this ministry of evangelism in Thailand. I feel like all the members of Garden Way Church are just like partner parents and mentors to us. I am really grateful and thankful, not just for your financial support, but for remembering us in your prayers. This is something that really touches my heart. I cannot minister like my husband, Deezy, who passed away. He went from village to village and evangelized. I can't go to village to village as much as he did, but I really enjoy sharing God's word and teaching from the Bible one-on-one. -on -one. Counseling is what I enjoy. I do go to the villages sometimes, mostly with a team from the mission or the church. I share and encourage the villagers from the Bible. I try to preach and spread the gospel among the villagers. Now listen to this. One of my goals of ministry is to share the gospel with at least one person every week. Isn't that an amazing goal? God's been good to me and has given me opportunity to share the gospel. For example, last week I met a man who was an alcoholic. He has a wife and children. He had a problem and did not know how to solve it. He, has, he was in a very dark mood when I met him. I told him that there is always a way out in God. God can help you if you trust him. I shared the gospel with, and he asked me to pray with him. So I laid my hands on his shoulder and prayed. I also prayed that God would give me more opportunities to meet him and encourage him from the Bible, which has happened. In our church, the ladies group, in the ladies group, I tell the ladies that God is using us in different ways, so don't be discouraged when we have problems. I encourage them to show God's love to each other and share the gospel with others. I am also busy with sick people, praying for them, and encouraging them. Sometimes God allows me to sense when someone has a problem. 
I try to talk to that person, and when they finally reveal their problem, we pray together. I encourage them from the Bible. There are many people who don't know Jesus. I encourage and teach my children to share the gospel. I pray that God will give me opportunities to reach out to people, not just in my area, but also in other areas, maybe in Burma. I remember the story of Moses and Joshua. When God was taking Moses away and, and putting Joshua in charge of the Israelites to lead them into the promised land. Joshua was, was quite afraid of taking the job. Sometimes I feel like that. But God told Joshua he was with him and would lead him and help him. When I remember that story, I remember that God is leading me and helping me. I am really encouraged to continue this ministry. My ministry is able to continue because of the prayers and support of Garden Way, my fellow workers at Frontier Laborers for Christ, and my local church. So God is using us, and God is leading us. I'm very thankful and grateful to God that I can do this ministry. Please convey to the church that we, are really, we really appreciate Garden Way Church for remembering us in your prayers and giving us your support. Please pray that God will give us strength and abilities to share the gospel with others, and to encourage and bring people to the Lord. It was just so touching to hear that come from her heart. Luckily, we had a translator that could tell us what she was saying in English. Young took me aside privately and said he wouldn't, doesn't know what he would do without Dandania um, because she is so instrumental in the programs of the mission. She and her children work very hard to make sure that the programs go efficiently and flawlessly so that they can concentrate on, on the jobs that they need to do. The next day, my brother-in-law and I had a really exciting opportunity to visit one of the villages with young Dandania and her son Puram. It was about three hours north of Chiang Mai in an isolated part of the mountains. The village is pretty primitive, although young was proud to tell us about the water system that uh, the mission had installed that was safe enough that you could drink it without boiling the water and then told us, but don't try it. <laughs> In past years, this village was supported by, by growing opium. Since then, they have been changing their two other cash crops, such as coffee, tea, and corn. We stayed overnight with a host family who provided far more food than we could ever eat. That evening, we met in a room with about 20 of the villagers. It was a night of encouraging each other and asking for prayer. I watched as Dandania encouraged many of the women who had prayer requests. She was probably speaking in Thai or probably maybe one of the village languages, so we didn't have any idea what she was saying, but it was clear to see the love, kindness, and gentleness as she encouraged these women, at the same time teaching the others in the room. These women had significant needs. One asked for prayer because her husband was physically abusive to her. One asked for prayer because her son had been in such a horrible fight that he has significant damage to his face and would need a, a lot of surgery to correct that. One asked for prayer for her, her mother. Her parents had converted from Buddhism to Christianity and now her father was trying to lead her mother back into Buddhism. It was interesting that there were no prayer requests for their difficult living situation or anything about financial needs. It was all about spiritual needs and, and uh, needs that they had in, the, in their lives uh, because, of their, uh, because of their situation. After this time of sharing, there was a time of prayer. It was different than anything I'd ever experienced before. Everybody started praying all at the same time in whatever language they spoke. 
And it was just like a bonfire of prayer going up into the heavens. It was an amazing experience. All my concerns about visiting, visiting a remote village dissipated as the people were so gracious to us and worked so hard to accommodate us. Although I must say that the piece of plywood that I slept on that night was a little hard. We were not only well cared for, but the appreciation they had for Garden Way Church was overwhelming. I hope that this pre presentation will help you pray more effectively for Dandania and her children. They are a great example of frontline evangelism to people of their own ethnic group, and as Bruce said earlier, far more effective than an American preacher doing the same kind of work over there. Please pray that God will provide Dandania with many opportunities to share the gospel, and that she will have the confidence that God is with her and beside her and leading her as she relies on him to work effectively through her. Thank you much. Thank you so much, Rob, and thank you, Glenda. Great to have you there with her and her family representing us. You know, it occurs to me that when we stand before God in the fullness of his kingdom, we're going to meet people there who are there because of Dandenia, because of her ministry of coming alongside people who are hurting, doing her, her, her medical work, and looking for opportunities to share about the love of Jesus Christ. And we get to be part of that. Her ministry is just one expression of our mission. This great mission that God has entrusted to us. I hope we never, ever lose sight of this mission. And I pray that we will let this mission shape our perspective on how we look at this world because this mission is so much bigger than us. It's so much bigger than our church. It's so much bigger than our nation. It encompasses the world. And I hope that when we look at this world, more than anything, we will see people that God loves, people that he longs to draw into his embrace. People he longs to bless. I hope we will pray and give and serve and do our part to help fulfill this mission that God has given to his church. And as I think about this mission that God has passed on to us, I have one big audacious prayer. I pray that we, the church in this generation, would be so faithful that we would be so compelled by the uncompleted task of this great covenant. My prayer is that we would complete this in my lifetime. Would you pray with me that way? Would you resolve along with me to make this great mission our priority? Let's finish the work that God has given us to do.